but I know for sure that I look back at where we once were and how on earth we got to this place today. It's all because of God. And I know that God can do more and that God wants to do more. It's time for us to step out in faith. In Numbers chapter 13, we read in verse 25, it says, And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. Now to get to this chapter, to get to this point in Israel's history, Israel has gone through a lot to get to this point. Israel has been in bondage for over 400 years under the slavery of Egypt and the Pharaoh. They cried out to God and God heard them. And God raised up a deliverer. What was that deliverer's name? Moses, right? Moses. He was that, that baby that was floating in a basket down the river who was miraculously saved. You see, God had already started planning this process before Israel began even crying out to God. God had already started the process. Moses now, who is a Hebrew, but he's grown up, and now he's grown up as really royalty underneath Pharaoh. Well, God comes to Moses one day and Moses sees an Egyptian striking a Hebrew. He reacts and he ends up killing the Egyptian. Murders him and buries him in the sand and tries to pretend nothing happened. Eventually, he ends up running for his life. And for years, for decades and decades, he's living in the wilderness. He gets married. He starts having children. And then that burning bush with the sheep attending, minding his own business, trying to forget all about the past, forget about where all his people are, and this bush that was on fire that wasn't actually burning the bush. It was a miraculous discovery. And in that bush, he takes off his shoes and God speaks to Moses and says, go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And we know that story. Ten plagues later, Israel now is going through the wilderness and they come across their first obstacle. What's that first obstacle? The Red Sea, a small obstacle. Israel's already yelling at Moses, what have you done? We took a left when we should have taken a right. Did we take a wrong turn? Why are we here? Pharaoh's army is that way and the people are just harping on Moses. Moses looks up to God and God says, Moses, I want you to walk out into the water Lift your hands up and watch me do something great. Moses dips into the water. He raises up his staff. The winds came and the Bible says the ocean departed. Ocean parted. Miraculously, Israel stands in awe and sees this take place and they're able to walk through the Red Sea. They make it through. And as soon as the last child, the last person made it through, maybe Moses was the last one, I don't know. As soon as the last person went through, Pharaoh's army was already coming through. The whole army was now through the Red Sea. They were getting closer to, to Israel when God let the sea down and all of the Egyptian army was lost. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Now you're stuck with um, one, possibly, some people would say even up to two million people wandering through the wilderness. <laughs> they get hungry. They start complaining to Moses. And God looks up to heaven and says, Lord, I, I can't feed these people. What are you going to do? And God says manna down from heaven. In Psalm 78, 
manna is described as angels' food. Angels' food. Off, I always imagine the angels, you know, eating around the table, and there were some leftovers, and they, you know, flicked it off, and it flew off into the ground. That, that's not what happened. That's just how I imagine it. Okay, and it came onto the ground, and when a manna just means, you know, what is it? That's that's what the phrase means. And they woke up one morning and said, what What is this? This white little flakes on the ground, and uh, they picked them up, and there was very specific instructions how to take care of it, how to not take too much. Eventually, they got tired of the manna. They wanted, they wanted meat. They complained to Moses. And sure enough, Israel would wake up one morning and there'd be quails laying all over the ground. And this is how Israel was fed for years and years as they wandered through the wilderness. Manna and the quail every morning. Miraculous. Absolutely incredible. They got thirsty, as most people do. What did they do? They complained to Moses. Instead of saying, Lord, would you give us some... No, they went right to Moses and complained. And Moses said, Lord, what do I do? And where did God give them water from? Something like, you know, rainwater, right? That makes sense. Maybe a, a pool on the ground they found. No, water came from a rock. That doesn't make sense. Showing once again the hand of God in his miraculous work. It's just an amazing, amazing journey that Israel takes to get here to Numbers chapter 13. They've been wandering now for some time, and now they've made it to the border of the promised land. This is the land that was promised to Abraham hundreds and hundreds of years prior. The Abrahamic covenant was about to be fulfilled. The land, the seed, the blessing, it was right there. Before we go in, Moses said, let's send in 12 spies to spy out the land, maybe strategically look at the best way to go in. Uh, for whatever reason, the spies were selected. You could read the beginning of Numbers chapter 13, and it lists by name all the spies that God sent out. We know two of them, the most important ones, Joshua and Caleb. So as we just read in verse 25, they returned from searching after the land after 40 days. Over a month they were away. Verse 26, And when they went and came to Moses and to Aaron, and to all the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought word back unto them, and unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. So picture this. These people, this is the moment they've been waiting for. For forever. <laughs> the Abrahamic covenant, the wilderness crossing, they're finally at the border. Now they just got to wait for the spies to get back and they're excited and they, maybe they see the caravan coming back and guys, they're back, they're back. And the whole congregation gathers together and these men show up. Verse 27, when these men show up, the first thing we see in this chapter is an oath remembered. The first thing we come across here is an oath remembered. God coming down and keeping his promises. Because look what happens now in verse 27. The congregation's waiting. What's, what's the reports? Verse 27. And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. The first thing they said was, man, guys, the land is everything God promised us. The land is flowing. 
with milk and with honey. That doesn't mean there was rivers of milk, right, and pools of honey. It just meant there was an abundance of it. In fact, if you go back to chapter, uh, same chapter, just go back to verse 17. This will tell us what the spies found when they were there. Verse 17 says, And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said unto them, Get you up, and this way... Uh, uh, this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. So they're scouting the land. And what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not, and be of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first, uh, first ripe grapes. So this is grape season, okay? Verse 21, look what they find there. And they ascended up by the south, and came unto Hebron, and Ahem, uh, Ahim, she, Shea, and Talmai, the children of Anak were. We're going to come back to the children of Anak, okay? Those are some interesting guys there. Now, Hebron was built seven years before Zoad in Egypt, and they came unto the brook of Eschol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grape. And they bear it between two upon a staff. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs, and the place was called the brook of Eschol because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. So one of the first things they do when they go in is they notice it's, it's grape country. And the vines there, are, they must be much larger than they've ever seen before. They cut down a portion of the vine and it took two men to carry this, this, this uh, cluster of vine. That's what Eskal means. It means cluster. These men, they'd never seen anything like this before. The fruit was so abundant. We're going to find out more of the things they saw. But as these men started marching back, the people of the land started seeing these huge vines and maybe the grapes were larger than they'd ever seen before. And they began to think to themselves, wow, finally, finally our time has come. Just as God promised, the land was truly a land that was rich in resources and prosperity. It was everything they had hoped for. Man can't always be trusted, but God can always be trusted to keep his oath, to keep his promise. This is a promise that was given to Abraham, passed on to Isaac and to Jacob, and now hundreds and hundreds of years later, finally, God is keeping his promise. Perhaps the promise could have come earlier, but we see the failure of Israel from time and time again, but no matter, they're here now. Isn't it good to know that God keeps his promises? Maybe you're here today and you're skeptical about that. Does God really keep his promises? We're going to come back to that in just a little bit. But understand this, that everything, every promise of God given to us in the scriptures has been fulfilled or will be fulfilled and can be fulfilled in our life today. There are so many promises and blessings of God. And God is, this is an example of one here where God kept his promise. The people we're excited. However, we know that the story doesn't end there. 
So in verse 27, they told them and said, we, come into the, we came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. We see an oath remembered, but unfortunately in verse 28 here, we're going to see a shift here. We see an overcritical response. Look at the response though. Verse 28. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coasts of Jordan. That word, nevertheless, that's like, oh, God is promising everything, but... But hold on. There are, some, there are some strong cities there. There are some tall people there. These men began to start pointing out all of the negatives that were taking place. And these men did not, they started to fail to see the potential of this land. They could not get past the faults that lay ahead of them. I imagine the children of Israel here, they were expecting the passage to be easy, perhaps. I mean, think about it. As I just said, up until this point, they didn't have to get their food. God literally, they woke up and the food was laying at their feet. Angels' food. When they wanted meat, quails were laid. They, they were there. They didn't have to work for their food. Now, it was tough. Don't get me wrong. They had to pack up their tents and they had to uh, mosey their way through the wilderness. But God did everything for them. Might I even add, when they never even got lost. Because at nighttime, the Bible says that a, uh, a uh, fire from heaven guided them at night and a cloud, they followed this little cloud by day. I mean, they didn't get lost. Their food was given to them and when they were thirsty, God got it from anywhere he wanted. They were taken care of. There's another passage in Deuteronomy that talks about the fact that their clothes never got wore out. All this time, their sandals never broke. Their clothes stayed intact. God was taking care of his people. But now they were going to have to work a little bit. They were going to have to claim the land. And although God was going to do most of the work, I mean, you read the, you read the other passages. God did, took care of them. Very few Israelites ever perished if they did what God told them to do. Most of the time, the enemy just killed each other. Or a hail from the sky came and, and killed them. Or they got scared for some reason and they ran and the Bible says the wilderness devoured them, whatever that means exactly. God always took care of his people. But for some reason in this instance, they were scared to death. You know, it's amazing how quickly we can forget all the good things that God has done for us. How quickly. Everything's going well in your life and then all of a sudden something bad happens and you forget. All of a sudden you start blaming God. It's like almost in an instance we forget all the good things that God did to even get you to where you are today. All of a sudden, it all goes out the door. It's kind of like a couple weeks ago, I took, uh, I t took our kids to a water park. It was one of those really hot, uh, I don't know, Saturday or Monday, maybe it was a Monday. It was a really hot day a couple weeks ago, and we took them to a water park in uh, Maple Ridge. Like in the water park, like the, the water that comes out of the ground kind of water park, you know, for the kids. And uh, it was hot, and they were so excited when we showed up. 
uh, my wife Lydia, she bought these squirt guns you know, from the dollar store so they could squirt each other with it. Oh, they were so excited and they were running around. It was hot. They were playing in the water and I was playing with them and their friends showed up and their friends were playing with them. They were having a blast and you could tell they were getting exhausted. It was the end of the day. We brought their favorite snacks and it was just a big treat for the kids. And I remember asking the kids, hey, did you guys have fun today? Yeah, yeah, we're having so much fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay, guys, well, it's time to get ready to go home now. Oh, you know what the kids do, right? They start complaining. Oh, they start kicking and screaming and they're unhappy now. They're, they're ungrateful, right? And they're, oh, they don't even want to play anymore. They just, their guns are on the floor. They don't want to eat anymore. Their life is just miserable. It's terrible now. We get in the car. We strap them in. They're unhappy. And all the way home, I'm, hey, kids, did you guys have fun today? No. <laughs> really? Okay, maybe we won't go there anymore. That's fine, you know, having one of those attitudes. It's amazing how quick you look at a kid and you think, ah, kids. But we forget that we adults can do that just as quick. We can flip the switch when something doesn't go our way. All of a sudden now, all of a sudden now God's to blame. We need to be careful. Israel, the Israelites here, these 10 spies specifically, they had an overcritical response. What did they say? What well, says here in verse 28, the people be strong. The first thing they mentioned was the armies are too strong. The armies are too big. They, they probably saw the walls of Jericho, their military strength, their equipment. They saw their preparation. They saw the swords and the spears. Israel didn't have any of these things. If you keep reading later on, Israel didn't have swords. They had spears. They weren't militarily trained. They were slaves just a few years ago. They've been wandering through a wilderness. They've been, they, have, they have no... They're, technically speaking, these guys are right. They're way outmatched. They're outnumbered. They don't have what it takes. They don't have an army. They don't have equipment. They don't have armor. That's true. And technically speaking, they were right. But God doesn't work in the technical. <laughs> because technically speaking, angels' food shouldn't be falling from heaven at the same time every single day, the exact amount to feed every single person. That's not technical. They shouldn't, they shouldn't wake up and have a horde of quail. I don't think horde's the right word. A, a flock, a herd, you know, lots of quail falling from the sky and laying all place that shouldn't happen but it was all of a sudden now the men start speaking about the negative and now they start thinking oh oh we're in over our heads now we can't do this the armies are too strong that was the first thing they said verse 28 what else does it say the cities are walled so the armies are too strong the walls are too high they're too fortified i mean there's no way we can get around them I mean, what's the first, per, what's the, when they eventually make it into the promised land, what's the first place that they are able to conquer? What's the name of that city with, with the walls? And they came tumbling down. What is that called? Say it again. Jericho. There we go. Jericho. I know you know it. Jericho, right? We learned it in Sunday school. The walls came down. I mean, did Israel have the ability? Did they say, roll in the cannons? Is that what they said? To bring those walls down? They walked around the walls. They didn't even do it loudly. They quietly walked around the walls. They weren't even allowed to talk. They tiptoed around the walls. 
And then eventually, on the seventh day, they were able to smash their cymbals and yell and scream, and the walls came down. Did Israel do that? No. It was all God. Were the walls too high for them? Yeah. Yeah, they were too high. Were the armies too strong? They definitely were too strong. Not to mention what happens here at the very end. Look at verse 29. Mentions the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites that dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And verse 28 talks about the children of Anak. The children of Anak, they come all throughout the scriptures. There is something about this family. They were tall. They were a tall family. They were a strong family. I don't know if their parents said, Now, son, you can't marry a girl unless she's seven foot nine. <laughs> That's the only thing I could think of. I don't know where you would find a girl or even a guy who's seven foot nine. But, like, somehow they just, this family was just notorious for being a tall, strong family. And no doubt Israel heard the stories and the legends of the children of Anak. And they wanted to purposely see them, and they did. They saw them. Maybe from a distance, I don't know. They saw them with their eyes, and they were scared. Look over in the uh, same chapter. Look down to verse 32 here. Verse 32 says, And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. You notice it says, all of the men. Do you think all of them were giants? No, but this is all they're seeing now. They see, they see a couple of tall people. Now everyone's tall to them. Oh, no, they're all tall. Verse 33. And, oh, not to mention, we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants and were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. I mean, these guys were trembling at the mention of the word Anak. They were scared to death. And I've given you this illustration before, but you see this camera right here on this pillar? We have a pillar right here. There's a camera pointing right at me. And I, you measure that camera, that camera stands at nine feet tall. That's nine feet from the ground, right? And we know from the Bible, 1 Samuel 17, that Goliath, considered a giant, according to the cubits given to us, was approximately nine foot six, something like that. So Goliath would have stood taller than the camera. So you guys would have had trouble cameraing Goliath if he came up here as a guest preacher one day. The camera would just basically get his, his belly button, I guess. I don't know. He's, I mean, think about it. I mean, I'm standing on the stage, and I, oh, I'm a pretty tall guy. You know, I'm standing on the stage, and this camera is looking down on me. I mean, I'm, I don't know how tall the stage is, and I'm still not even close to the height of what Goliath would have been. These guys had every right to be scared. I would be scared too if I came across and I saw a son of Anak or the sons of Anak. But you know what? Despite the ten plagues, the Red Sea crossing, the manna, the quail, the water from a rock, the fire by day, the cloud by the fire by night, the cloud by day, the voice of God on Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments, I can keep going. Despite everything, they, and all this had just happened within the last several months of their journeys. It's all fresh in their minds. Despite all of this taking place, they didn't think that God could take out the giants for them. 
They were overcritical in their thinking. You know, critical thinking is okay to an extent. And I'll say this carefully. Critical thinking is the analysis of available facts, evidence, and observation, and arguments to form a judgment. Okay? Critical thinking is when you take all the facts together and you make a decision. All right, we need some critical thinkers in our world today. If everybody just blindly believed everything that everybody said, we'd have some issues. Even in this church, we need some critical thinkers, people who can take the facts together and make, and make a judgment. But we need to learn the balance of thinking critically and spiritually at the same time. Because God doesn't work in the critical minds. God works outside of the bounds of what our minds can comprehend. And if we're not careful, we can let our critical minds stop God from performing his miraculous works in our life and in this church and on individuals. As a church, we're wanting to do big things for God, but if we're constantly critically taking away God out of the picture, how can God do something big in our life? Miracles only come from outside the bounds of logic and reasoning. That's what a miracle is. It doesn't logically, scientifically make sense. God sometimes works outside the bounds of our minds. And if we're stuck in the critical all the time, no, 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 the analysis doesn't work. The the formulas, it's just, it can't come together. It can't be done. Then how is God going to do something great in your life? This is where the balance comes in. And Caleb is the balance to this argument. Because not only do we see an oath remembered, we see this overcritical response. Look what Caleb, he gives us an obedient reminder here in verse 30. Look at verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses. He had to still them. You know what that means? They were getting uptight. They were getting, they they were starting to get loud. These 10 spies were rallying the people against Moses. Basically, these people were about to stone Moses. They didn't like Moses. Moses, you've led us all this way just to die in front of the sons of Anak. They were not happy. Caleb has to break through and say, whoa, 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 guys, guys, calm down, calm down. Shh. What does he say in verse 30? Let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. Did you hear all the facts, Caleb? Didn't you hear the giants? Yes, I heard. In fact, I was one of the spies. I was there. I saw Anik. I saw the giants just like these 10 guys did. I helped carry the grapes here. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I was there and we can do it. We can beat this. We have God on our side. We can defeat these sons of Anik. The walls that are too strong for you, we can possess this land. It says not just we can, but it says we are well able to overcome it. That's what he says here. Look at the end of verse 30. We are well able to overcome. I wonder how many blessings have we missed because we didn't step out in faith and trust God. Do you believe that God is the God of all gods? That he created this world in six literal days? That he spoke the world into existence? Do you comprehend how intricate our body is? 
I mean, it's science. Scientists still are just tapping what our bodies can do, how they're developed. It's just incredible how the mind works, trying to study dreams. Scientists are baffled by what a dream even means. How do we, how do we subcon... It's just incredible. And God did that in a second, in a moment. He spoke you into existence. And not just you, but he spoke Adam, Eve, and he allowed the creation of our world. It's... The stars up in the heaven, by the billions and billions, God made them also, the Bible says. We serve a great God who could do anything he wants. And if God wants something to be done in your life, it can happen. And critical thinking sometimes, overcritical thinking, is what can get us into trouble. And Caleb is trying to steal the people here. Upon the report of the spies, they begin to murmur, perhaps mutiny even upon Moses. And Caleb tried to remind them yet one more time, guys, let's not even think about it. Let's just do it. I mean, we've made it this far, guys. We've come all this way. The Red Sea, I mean, don't you remember what God has done? Let's do this right now. We see an obedient reminder from Caleb. Interesting, too, if you read Numbers chapter 1, verse 45, you actually can read in Numbers 1 that Up until this point, Moses had counted the people. And there were those older, 20 years old and upward, there were over 600,000 men, the Bible says, that were fit for war. So was Israel a militarily trained people? No, but there were 600,000 people ready to take on one city at a time. And when you do the math, and archaeology has proven this, that most of these cities, though Jericho was highly fortified, 600,000, they were no match for 600,000. Israel wasn't taking on Canaan all at once. You read Joshua. It was city by city. It was group by group. Caleb looked at the numbers and said, what are you guys talking about? God has prepared us for this moment. We can do this. But it was too late. See, the balance to the overcritical argument came in with Caleb. But unfortunately, in verse 31, we see an offensive reply. Look at the reply they gave to Caleb. Verse 31. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. We can't do it. Not, you're right, you're right, Caleb. Let's rethink this through. Let's re-strategize. Maybe you're right. No, they just said, Caleb, we cannot do this. Now, it's possible they were arguing about this the whole way back. These these 12 guys were together the whole time, right? 40 days. Maybe all the way back, Caleb's like, man, this is going to be so hard, but it's going to be crazy. I don't know how God's going to do it, but God's going to do it because we're here. And the men are going, are you crazy? We're not going to be able to do it. And Caleb's like, how how could, I imagine they argued about this for the last 40 days. I don't know. But we see right here, right now, the people very specifically say, we cannot do it. Verse 32 And they brought up an evil report of the land, as we just read earlier, that they searched it out. Because in verse 33, we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, and we just don't have what it takes. The reply from the other men is seemingly from a human critical mind and does not consider the might and power and will of God. Had they just taken a step back and in faith, looked at how they made it to where they were, perhaps they could see the bigger picture. Perhaps they could see what Caleb saw. 
You know, God hasn't given our church a promised land. He hasn't, a prophet hasn't come through here years ago and promised that there's a huge property out there waiting for us. We don't have that from a prophet. He didn't do that for us. That'd be cool if we did. We didn't, you know, a prophet didn't come by and say there's a building that we promised it's flowing with chairs, flowing with classrooms and uh, with parking lot stalls. We didn't get a prophet like that. But Israel did. Israel had this promise to hold to. You know what? What God has promised our church, though, is that he would bless the faithful. And if we would stay faithful to God. And I promise you, 23, 24 years ago, when this church first started in the living room of Pastor White's office with just a handful of people, actually it was, it was his family and I think one lady, they started in the living room. If God were to say a couple years from now that you're going to be meeting in a church like this, Pastor would have said, you're crazy. We watch how God has blessed our church over the years because we've stepped out in faith. And we've done, uh, we've given. We've given to missions. We've given to the church. We've sacrificed ourselves. So many of you spend hours and hours in service into the Lord throughout the week here at this church. And I just can't help but think God's not done with our church yet. Imagine if our church can take another step. Can we do it? No, we can't do it. The sons of Anak are out there. They're too strong for us. Financially speaking, there's no way our church can, can, can move out into another, another building, another place. But I know for sure that I look back at where we once were and how on earth we got to this place today. It's all because of God. And I know that God can do more and that God wants to do more. It's time for us to step out in faith. I don't know what exactly God has in store for us. But I do know this that this chapter ends with an opportunity removed. It ends with an opportunity removed. Because of their unbelief, Caleb tried his best to steal the people, but just one guy's voice wasn't enough. He was overpowered. The one guy who stood up for what was right, he wasn't there. He wasn't enough. And we don't have time to read chapter 14. But I do want to read, if, uh, just skip to verse 20. Numbers 14, look at verse 20. And the Lord said, now this is after the people have determined that they can't do it. Numbers 14, verse 20. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. In other words, fine, I will grant you a request. You don't have to go. Verse 21. But as truly, but as, truly as I live... All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it, but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully. Him will I bring into the land wherein he went and his seed shall possess it. Oh, there's more I could read here. But God says, if you're not ready, then you don't get to go. But my one faithful messenger that all of you think is crazy, he's going to get to go in someday. He's going to live long enough to see it and see his children and his children's children Take a part of the land. But all of you that aren't ready yet, 
What he's about to tell them is for 40 years, you're going to have to wander in the wilderness until all of you die off. All of you that are 20 years old and upward are going to perish. So those of you 19 years and younger, if you make it through those 40 years, you may get a chance to, to go in and to see it. Other than that, the only guy going is Caleb. Caleb was the crazy guy that said, we can do it. And everyone looked at him and said, you're crazy, be quiet. The crazy guys get silenced really quick because they're crazy, right? But what if they're crazy for God, trying to do something for God when they, they see something that no one else sees? I can't help but ask us here in this church, where are we today? Are we quick to silence the Caleb's? Are we quick to join on the bandwagon of everybody else? Or is it time for us to step up and do something great for God? You know, I read, came across this story here as we close. There was this kid growing up in Brooklyn, New York. His name was Steve Sasson. He was born on July 4th, 1950. He was immediately drawn to electronics and was never one to shy away from exploring new technologies. Uh, he, after building an amateur radio at the age of 13, he accidentally sent out a signal on a band frequency and received a letter from the Federal Communications uh, Commission government from, of America thinking that this guy was a terrorist. Finding out he was a 13-year-old that figured out how to get onto the, high, the most secret frequency in America at that time, he was called into question. <laughs> His parents didn't know what to do with his son, who seemed too smart for his own body. They didn't know how to keep him out of, school, out of trouble. He kept finding himself in the technological trouble. He eventually graduated from high school at a very, very young age and found himself at the age of 15 going into, into college. Right out of graduate school, he landed a, uh, uh, a job working at a research laboratory at the Eastman Kodak Company. Remember the Kodak cameras back in the day? Started working for Kodak. He was amazed that he had found a job doing what he enjoyed most of all, tinkering with electronics. At Kodak, Sasson's supervisor realized quickly that this kid knew how to tinker and could get himself into trouble quickly. So he put him on a special project, he called it, thinking nothing would come from this project. It wasn't really a secret project. It was just called Steve's Project because everybody knew that this kid was getting himself into trouble. But he was smart. So over the course of a year, Sasson was given complete autonomy on his project. His experience taking apart electronics as a child made him think about how electrical pulses could be displayed as a two-dimensional pattern, how like a television works, and he talks about all the intricate parts of what he was trying to build. And in 1975, he produced a device that combined a lens from a Super 8 movie camera, 19 nickel cadmium batteries, an analog digital converter, a CCD imaging area, I know some of you don't know any of these things, I don't either, an AD converter, several dozen digital things, a bunch of other circuit wires and stuff, and he invented the world's first digital camera. <laughs> kind of like what we have in our church here today, these cameras that are digital. While today we live in a world where a digital photography seems unimaginable, if you didn't have a digital camera, all of your phones have a digital camera. 
Back in the 70s, Kodak was reluctant to embrace this new technology because the company had a lucrative monopoly on the film photography market in the United States. How many of you, I mean, even me in the 90s, I always got those Kodak, even disposable cameras, right? That was the coolest thing. They were reluctant to take on this technology and eventually dismissed the idea from Steve Sasson. They saw little reason to disrupt the status quo. Now, I don't think I need to tell you that that was a missed opportunity for them. This decision would prove costly. Though Sasson continued working on the digital camera technology, and his colleague Robert Hills would help, cre help him create the first DSLR camera. And if you're not familiar with cameras, that's a big deal. In 1989 is when this DSLR camera came out. Kodak continued to stay away from the digital and in 2012 eventually filed for bankruptcy. Kodak cameras. Because they were too slow to get on the digital photography bandwagon. And they could have been the first. A huge loss of billions and billions of dollars for a camera, camera company is devastating enough. But it cannot compare to the loss of blessings Christians face each and every day because they don't have the faith to trust in God for it. Maybe you feel like you've missed a few blessings over the years. Join the club. Maybe perhaps due to your lack of faith or even there's sin in your life that would be prohibiting you from receiving the blessings of God. Well, the good news is you can start today. It doesn't matter your past, things you've messed up on, maybe the opportunities you've already missed. There's more for you down the road. You can confess your sins today and you can start seeking the face of God in faith and start receiving the blessings of God. If Grace Baptist Church is to progress forward, we need to have spirit-filled and faith-filled members. So my question to you today is, what's holding us back from the blessings of God? Let's pray. If you could stand with me now as we pray. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.